Welcome, welcome, friends, to We Are Mir Costa. I'm Aaron Roberts, your host for this humble show. I don't have a fancy intro or a song yet, and I still have a lot to learn about interviewing people and recording a podcast. However, I'm not going to let the quest for perfection get in the way of something good. We're always learning, you know? This is a show about us. It's about building community between us. Something that I've come to love about Miracosta is that we all have interesting, often wonky paths to getting here. Those different paths, the hurdles we've overcome, our successes and our failures, influence everything we do in our work. In so many ways, we are our students. Many of us struggled in education and experienced not belonging. Many of us relied on family support systems and community to keep going. Despite those struggles, many of us also had a spark moment where it all just clicked. Our students are going through some of those exact same experiences. This show is about those paths, those supports, and those sparks. I also want to talk about what we love about our work. Most of us are overwhelmed with the amount of things that we have to do in any given week. It's easy to forget the important things at the heart of what we do, myself included. And I hope that we can get a chance to talk about some of what we love, love about our work, love about one another, and love about our time with students. So sit back and enjoy these first few episodes before I get an intro and before I learn some basic audio production skills. If there's, if there's one thing, though, that I hope you get from listening to these interviews with your colleagues, it's this. Your unique experience, who you are as a person, your full complex identity, is something that we need at Miracosta. Too often, that's not the message you're getting here, um, both at Miracosta and in the larger academic culture. Reaching out and connecting to one another to learn about and from one another is a small nudge towards changing that culture. And now, here's our show. Hey folks, welcome to We Are Miracosta. I'm here with Jessica Perez Crona from our Writing Center, uh, here to talk about education, talk about life experiences, journeys of this professional role that Jessica has, and what things we love about what we do. Um, so I'm going to turn it over and welcome Jessica in. And Jessica, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, but really tell us how you got here. What's your journey? What are you doing now? How did, how did it go for you? <laughs> yeah, so um, as Erin said, Jessica Perez-Corona, currently I am the Interim Program Manager for Writing Center. Before I started in this position, I was actually supervising our Supplemental Instruction Program. It also uh, provides a different kind of support to students that are in what we call high-risk um, classes. So these are classes that you might have really high um, uh, drop rates, high DF and W uh, grades. And so we we work with those classes to, to provide a little extra support, kind of like what our learning centers do, but it might be just a little bit more specialized for that class and those instructors. Um, before I got here to Maricosta, I actually was um, at Palomar College, which is a little bit down the way from us here. Um, and with them, I worked a lot in outreach and then in a couple of different learning centers. Um, and then uh, I was there for almost 10 years. And then I found this opportunity at Maricosta and I came over and it's been really great. Um, I am originally from LA, so I am a product of LAUSD public education system for better, for worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, as I reflect back on like how that, that system, I guess, influenced me, made me, helped me. Um, It's, for me, it was good. Um, I was identified as one of those kids who had it, right? Mm -hmm. Who was smart, who, who could succeed, right? In these classes, at these schools that when we compare them to other places really are not necessarily challenging as much or whatever challenges it is that we have there. I never saw them until I left that bubble, Mm. if you will. Right. Cause it's mostly Latino students at my, at at my schools where I was growing up. Um, We could hear the translanguaging everywhere. Right. So Spanish to English, English to Spanish, even the teachers, you know, even teachers who, who weren't bilingual, they would understand what we were saying because they had been teaching there for so long, they picked up, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I had a pretty positive experience being an LAUSD student, but it was only because I was identified as gifted. It was because I was identified as like, again, somebody who had that potential. Whereas some of my other friends from middle school and high school, they didn't have that. Right. And so even though they might have needed just a little bit more support, it wasn't there. It wasn't really provided. It was really just reserved for those students who showed the potential, you know, like they didn't want to invest in other people. And and that's something that always stuck with me. So when I was getting ready to decide what was I going to do next, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. So that in and of itself was kind of hard, right? Um, Talking to my parents about going to college, leaving home, leaving LA. Um, I'm the oldest in my family too. So as the firstborn female, there's a lot of responsibility that was placed on me. Um, And that expectation of you stay home and close by to help your siblings was one of them, right? So I rebelled against that a little bit, I would say. And in my, in my application process, I remember like trying to apply to schools that were like way the heck away. Oh, yeah. the and then taking some chances, you know, locally, but even then I, I was very, um, and I will never know because I never applied to UCLA and I keep telling myself it was intentional because I didn't want to be going anywhere to school in LA, <laughs> but I don't know if I would have gotten in and that's okay. Um, I ended up coming to UCSD, but even that was a, a huge culture shock for me because UCSD hasn't been able to get their Latinx representation in terms of their student body beyond maybe 10%, 11%, 12%, something like that. Like they just they just can't in spite of the fact of where UCSD is, right? Yeah, it doesn't match the region at all. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I I came out here as a math major. Actually, I started as a math major at UCSC because my goal was to come back to high school and, and be a math teacher and not be the kind of teacher that left students behind. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my goal. Because I was like, my friends are smart. They struggle, but they're smart. And, and like, why am I the only one getting these opportunities? Why am I the only one being asked where are you going to college after this? And like not being handed 
just our um our closest trade technical school or our closest community yeah. college and even then like really not understanding the differences in the systems I understood the differences in the treatment you know it felt different um and UCSD was hard it was hard I was on the five-year plan so I did not graduate in four I took an extra mm -hmm. year to finish and I think even a summer after that um but thankfully made it through and then I decided that I was going to go to grad school immediately so I, I I applied to one program only and that's something that <laughs> I would not recommend to students <laughs> the putting all your eggs in one basket or whatever I wouldn't do that ever again <laughs> <laughs> but I was lucky. I got lucky. I I interviewed. Um, the program felt like a really good match for me, and I was selected to be a part of a cohort with San Diego State through the community based community based block program, <laughs> or CBB for short. A lot of um, folks that work in community colleges, um, in counseling, or even professors have gone through this program too, which emphasizes not just education, but it's also emphasizing multicultural counseling, yeah. which is something that's important, right, in our in our own education system. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I went through that program and interned at City College that I realized like how much support the community college system needs from people like me, who are first generation, who came from a low-income background, who identify as Chicana. I was like, I don't have to go all the way back to high school to do this. Like yeah. I can do this from here. Yeah. And so that's really where I was introduced to community colleges and I've stayed with them ever since. So I've been with a community college since really 2008 when I started my internship. So it's been quite a while that I've been working with, with systems here and specifically here in San Diego. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, you know, I think the uh, applying to places or not applying to places and looking back on that, that's something I think about a lot too, because I, similar, similar experience in some ways where there was like a, I'm going to apply to all these faraway things and like none of them worked out. And I was like, oh no, what do I do? And I ended the place I ended up going for my master's, Georgia Southern, um, randomly ended up from Illinois in Georgia. But it turned out to be this like amazing experience. And had I had I followed one of those paths that didn't work out, or even when I was applying for this job, I applied for a job at RCCD, Riverside City College. Okay. And that's, I lived right down the street from it. I was, I was like, this would be great. I, I said, I applied, I forgot to apply. Literally, I missed it by a day. I forgot to, I was like, oh my God, how stupid am I? And it, and you know, but it, but it all, there are these moments that you look back on, you think like, what if that had happened? Like, what if you had gone to UCLA? Like, what if that, what if you did apply? But the mm -hmm. the track we end up taking, I think, is it shapes us in, in a way that I find, I, I would imagine, you know, you've had that same experience, like the path you took influenced you as a person and, and shaped what you care about and what you love. And that's, that's kind of been my experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you being away from my family actually also helped me to get closer to them <laughs> in, a, in, in an interesting way. Um, again, like having had all that pressure be put on me as the first in my family, as the oldest in my family, being away from that and experiencing freedom and really experiencing being, being able to do things without somebody watching me 
also helped me to realize how responsible I am and how much I cared about myself enough to, to do the right thing, to make right choices, right? Um, and for my family to also be able to see that they could trust me outside of their watch. And I yeah. think that made things for me, especially with my mom, like our relationship got closer because I was able to open up to her and, and talk to her about certain experiences and things that otherwise I would never have been able to had I stayed in that house and, and been there and felt watched the entire time, right? So um, oddly enough, once I moved out here, like my relationship with her improved, my relationship with my dad was so much better with my siblings. Yeah. Um, and and it, it worked out for the best. I haven't left San Diego ever since I came out here in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it, but I never act on it. <laughs> When your rent goes up or mortgage goes up or housing costs or food or everything goes up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think about it, like what it would have been like if I hadn't. But honestly, I I can't sit and dwell on it too much because I'm happy. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy where I, what I've created. I am happy with the relationships that I have because of the pathway that I took. And that's something that helps me be more present in in where I'm at currently. Yeah. And that's a special feeling. And it's something that when I talk to students, when I talk to early career folks who are just kind of getting out there, that's the, that's the advice I give is like, if you, when you look, whatever you're doing, when you look back on it, if you recognize that sure things could have been different, but I'm, I'm happy with where I am and who I am. That means you've done something right. You know, you are like, I, I look at it a lot of the same way. Like the, the world is like I, where I am is a good thing and I'm happy with where I am. So whatever it took to get here is whatever it took. And each of those decisions, each of those relationships and those, those things we've done you know, shape how we will proceed too. Um, So I'm wondering, you know, in that time when you were maybe in high school and you were, you felt like you said you were kind of like chosen a bit. Right. And I I can kind of get a sense from what you're talking about. There's almost a bit of like a, like a survivor guilt feeling, which I've experienced too, where it's like, why me? Like, why was I the one that could go do this thing? Or why did I get this and someone else didn't? And you just think about that a lot when you've, when you see other people like you not get those chances. But was there a moment where you were like, just really lit up about education where it just kind of like snapped for you or it was like, this is like, you were excited about it or you felt a sense of ownership over education Mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, yeah. So I've always said that I would never, ever, and I won't really now (laughs) knowing what I know now. And again, having been a part of the community college system for such a long time now, um, I said I would never go back and do high school ever again. Yeah. But that said, I that was where I felt the strongest, really, because I was doing well. I didn't struggle. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed learning at that mm-hmm. point because it came easy, right? Like yeah. like it wasn't challenging. There there were some some classes, of course, but. And, and because again, I was getting that special attention. So teachers would be like, hey, Jessica, can you help so-and-so with their blah, blah, blah. And so I felt 
special. I did, yeah. right? I felt like, wow, I'm making, I'm helping somebody else. And that for me has always been something that I value a lot, being able to provide support to people that need it or that guidance um, whenever possible, right? And what's within my wheelhouse. And so I would get that a lot in high school where teachers would pair me up with some friends or classmates who maybe weren't doing as well. And, and, you know, we would just connect over that, right? Me helping them and me also help, like helping myself and understanding things mm -hmm. better. Yeah. So I felt the strongest as a high school student, for sure. Um, and like I said, because I noticed the differences in, in the way that we were being, I was being treated versus those friends, I was like, I want to come back and do this again as a teacher and be that person to motivate other people to go on experience it apply go for it who cares you know I mean back in the day it was a little bit different with the UC system I qualified for a waiver but I know a lot of students can't qualify for that anymore yeah. so even applying for for colleges become more difficult and more Burden. of a challenge but yeah. still I thought to myself like I really want to try and motivate students to go for it when other people won't right and so that's where I felt the strongest. That's where I felt the best in terms of my educational journey. Um, but I still wouldn't go back and do it as a student. <laughs> Never again. I know, I know the same thing. Like when you feel, I, I tell my class that like my example of that is when I feel, I remember when I started realizing I can't turn in a paper that is not my best paper. And it literally got to a point where it would be like, I cannot turn this in until I know that I have like done what I know is possible for me. It's like when you see yourself doing this thing mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, and I'm raising my hand high for the audio folks. And then all of a sudden you're falling short of what you know you can do. It's, it's hard. And so when that switch kind of clicked, I felt like control over that time in my life but it's also like it was it's awful it's stressful it's but because it's it's pressure packed too so you don't want to go back and live it but it is like a nice feeling I'm just really glad in your story there that you were sharing that like you that is something you identified about yourself pretty early and has been a driving force mm -hmm. in your life like did you consciously know that you wanted to be like a helper of people in some way like how when would you say like you felt that kind of consciously I think I've always had that, to be very honest with you. And it could just be my culture too. Again, the expectation of you as the oldest daughter, right? And and yeah. really I'm talking about being the oldest female um, in the family, that you are expected to provide support to whatever it can be, right? Um, and most of the time it was very gendered, right? So my support would be in the kitchen with my mom. Chores with my mom. Um, my I have a younger sister who we're apart by like a month, a year and a half. Uh, so obviously we grew up together. But then my brother came along almost seven, eight years later. And so at that point, there was a little bit of an expectation of like, you can do some things with this little kid. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I can't. I'm only like eight. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> And yet there was some support that I was lending there too very early on. And right now I'm getting ready to have my first baby. And I like some of that is coming back. And I was like, how the heck am I now, right? Like I'm an adult, I have a job, 
I've learned to take care of myself and I'm like, I'm going to take care of this little human and I'm freaking out. Right. And then it's, I start going back and I'm like, how the heck was I expected to do that at like seven and eight years old to help with this little human? And, and, and I'm like, man, you know, there, there's some things there that I'm glad for, but also sad about that I had to be put in. Right. Um, and, and it was the best that my parents could do, yeah. right? We, we couldn't afford childcare. We couldn't afford another person. And it was, you know, abuelitas helping, tias helping, but then the sister also helps. <laughs> and that's how it was for them. And so that's what they knew, right? Um, but I think there was that. And so again, I, I appreciate those opportunities that I was given as a kid, were they the best? Probably not, but that's something that, you know, we kind of, in my particular situation, weren't the worst things that, yeah. that happened to me as a kid, you know, yeah. and that did ingrain to me, like I said, that value of being a supportive person for somebody else. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a learning opportunity. I like learning. I feel like there's an opportunity to learn something new every day if we're open to it. And I try to be. And so I think there's a little bit of the cultural, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels good (laughs) as, as, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, it does feel good. It does help me as a human being feel um, like I have different purposes too. And, And that's helpful to me and my confidence and just how I feel about myself um, and hopefully that, that I'm also modeling something positive for another person to be able to reciprocate somewhere else. Yeah, that's what I think a lot about what something that you said there about like being put in those positions that maybe aren't like ideal, but you recognize also impacted you in a positive way in some ways. Uh, that's a, I think a very common first generation college student experience, right? Like there are things that you know how to do that other students don't know how to do. That is unfortunate that maybe you know how to do them or unfortunate that you had to learn. You maybe like in my case, like you learn through failure, not, not failure of a class, but failure of a, of, of not getting that financial aid form in time. And you learn how to to fix that. You learn how to solve that problem. Even if it causes like stress and and anxiety while you're doing it, you come out the other end being able to like take care of things, I think in a way that maybe some folks don't necessarily have to do. So it is like that negative in some case, it feels negative maybe in the moment. And then you recognize later how that has impacted you in a sense. And it's like a, it's a strange feeling. I don't have a good name for what I would call that feeling. That's like, negative positive you know like you feel bad it's like bad good you know like I don't know how to describe it I have a lot of things in life like that yeah yeah and you know I also want to add that it takes time to get to that place of being able to like laugh about it even a little bit right because I think for a very long time, I was very angry about it too. Like be, having that, having had that responsibility or like always being the interpreter for my parents for everything. Um, like I was mad. I'm like, why can't I just be outside playing? Like, why can't I just be a kid? Why, why don't you just let me, let me read my book? <laughs> I was a big book, bookworm. 
but they were always like, no, we need you to interpret this. Like, if you can read that, you can read this. You can read this thing. (laughs) It's a court summons. I'm like, it's a jury duty thing. I don't know what this is. Um, you know, so, so yeah. And it took a while, I want to say, and even like going like through therapy myself and just learning to reconcile those parts of me that were then with the parts of me that are now. And I think that that's something that isn't spoken about a lot. Um, and especially in my culture, right? Like I'm, I'm, um, my parents are Mexican. They were, they immigrated from Mexico here and, and like, they don't talk about stuff. Like even now they really don't talk about stuff. And so for me, when I first started going to therapy and experiencing therapy, I was like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> it was very life-changing and, and, but it took time, you know, it took time to really be able to be reflective about those experiences and help to identify the positive in them to yeah. be able to let go of it and then just hold on to this positive mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, and I think that's something that I would highly recommend to our students, to people. Um, you know, we have some excellent counseling services available to our students here, and a lot of those counselors are just fantastic. Um, and even though it might take some time to get an appointment with them, it's worth the wait because there's a lot of stuff that we can hold on to that impacts us at every single level. And that even includes here in academics and in classes, um, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it took some work, some personal searching for me and looking into myself um, to be able to like now, again, look back and say like, wow, that was a crazy thing that I was being asked to do. But now here in in this moment, I can appreciate, again, the, the responsibility, the trust, maybe the confidence, right, that my parents had that I was going to be okay with this little kid, <laughs> wow. right? But even, even with that, just in modeling something positive for my younger siblings, like that, that's something that I carry with me every day and that I'm very proud of, that, that I was able to be that role model for them and that we've had these conversations, my siblings and I, and they said, yeah, if it weren't for you, I don't know what, what I would be doing right now. And it's something that was, whenever they've expressed that to me, it's, it, it like, it gets me because I'm like, I, I never would have seen myself that way. Um, it through my perspective. Right. But with their eyes, they're like, no, really, we we don't know what we would have done if you hadn't started this path too. Mm-hmm. And you know, like as in our, like I'm I'm thinking about our roles here on campus and what we do, and so many things that we don't even maybe we don't even know the impact we're having on our students in a similar capacity as that, like where you're doing something that is what you need to do. And maybe that is like taking that student, like helping that student in a way that goes beyond what um, is asked for in that moment, or you just, you share something about yourself or you model something for that student. And they, even if it feels small to us, to that student, maybe that's like a super important, significant moment in their life. And they like, we don't even recognize ourselves as being that agent of change necessarily. Right. We're just doing what we're doing and they, they, they see those things. I I like that a lot. And I, I love the um, crossover I'm seeing between some of what you're talking about in your life experience and what you do here on campus and what you do in your work in general. I think that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. 
So I'm, I want to talk a little bit more about your education experience. And specifically, I, I noticed so many of us that go through that, that are here at Miracosta. When I talk to people that I know at Miracosta or students that are going to Miracosta, so many of us have interesting or maybe like fraught paths that, that get us here, right? Like I was a horrible high school student, terrible. <laughs> I, I was like a class clown. I was not, I didn't do any of the tests. I didn't do any homework, but I took all the tests. I read my novel and math class, you know, terrible student. And, but it just took getting kind of shook, something shook in me to get on that path and get kind of set, set where I needed to go. And I, and then, you know, going through community college and other steps that just, it feels like it takes a little bit more work and it's a little bit, sometimes people have to take time off and it gets a little curvy before we get, it's not that straight and neat path that people kind of expect in their mind they're going to have. So I was wondering if, is there a time in your education experience where you felt something like that, where you either felt kind of like left out of this place or discouraged by a class or a professor or administrator, something that maybe caused that curvy path a little bit. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, again, I, in, in reflecting, right. Cause you sent me these questions a little ahead of time. So I had time to think about and, and, and reflect and I knew that in high school is where I felt my strongest, but my first quarter at UCSD is where I felt my weakest. So, you know, I, again, leaving LA, leaving South Central, that's mainly Black and Latino, and you come here to UCSD La Jolla, that's primarily white and Asian, rich boutiques everywhere. Like, I was like, I don't know what I got myself into. I, I'm I'm struggling. Now, I was able to do a summer program that introduced us to university life and that introduced us to being college students. But the conversations that we were having there were really going to be the only exclusive time that we really had them about inequities, about racism, um, you know, um, all of these things that in a way we were sort of being introduced to as part of the culture that we were about to walk into as students. Um, but I felt safe. I felt safe there because it was mainly students of color. It was a lot of students who like me were first generation college students, a lot of them coming from low income backgrounds as well, right? And so we felt safe to have these conversations and talk about these things. But then walking into a 300 person classroom and yeah. I had been in calculus already in high school. And so this was the next level. Of and I loved calculus. I know it sounds weird, but I loved calculus. I still <laughs> love math. I and I've told Scott Falstrom, our uh, STEM LC faculty director, I'm like, Scott, I love math. Math just doesn't love me. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, um, I said, when everything turned from numbers into letters, I was like, forget this. I can't do this anymore. But walking into this auditorium because I can't even call it a classroom you know nah, that's not a classroom not. yeah <laughs> it's it's like a theater it's like yeah an auditorium where you have your desk and your seat and you have to walk on top of people if you're late you know to find something somewhere and looking around and not finding anyone that looked like me whatsoever I was like what am I doing here what am I doing here? What, what, what is this for? 
Um, and so I had to drop from that math class. And so in the quarter system, we have 10 weeks of instruction and then one week of finals. If you fall behind in the first two weeks, it's almost impossible to catch up. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah you're done. And so what do you do? Again, in being my being the first person to experience this and, and understanding that your grades also impact your financial aid package and that you need financial aid to be out here, right? Um, and pay for everything that you you're using. I was like, I can't stay in this class because if I stay in this class, I'm going to lose my aid. If I lose my aid, I can't stay here. If I can't stay here, I have to go home. Like the whole theme. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Spiral down. That yeah. just, that, and, and I want to just, I don't, I really quick interject that that spiral, I think is something that like I grew up poor. And for me, it's, it was not race. It was not feeling like I didn't fit in, in that context. It was like, I can't afford this. And what if I, if this happens, then this happens. And now I can't pay my rent this next month. And it's like that spiral down. I think that we, we, those of us who have experienced some form of, of struggle in a way, in a space like that, you, that spiral is tough to get out of. Cause you tell yourself that that's, what's going to happen no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, and it wasn't like I couldn't access help. Like, in fact, part of being in this summer program required us that if we were in a math or science course, we had to sign up for tutoring. Um, and so I, I would go, but even then, like it was all, it may as well have been in a completely different language. Cause I was like, I'm just not getting it. And again, going from like a place where I felt strong, where I was the one tutoring other people, to now my first college, one of my first college classes, and I feel dumb. I feel like an imposter, you know, like I'm faking it here. Or like, maybe they are right. I don't belong here at all. Um, and it was from one class, you know, one class. And sometimes I know that that's the reality of our students. If It can only take one class to make you feel like, like I said, I'm dumb. This isn't for me. I can't do this. Um, and so, yeah, there, there was a lot of, there were a lot of times at UCSC that I definitely felt like an imposter. And I will say that even as a professional, sometimes that doesn't go away. <laughs> no. there, there have been times that I'm sitting in meetings here, or I'm sitting on these projects that I'm working on. And I'm like, who the heck do they think I am? <laughs> I know when I got this job here, it's like, I, the first, the first like six months, I was like, this was a mistake. They're going to take this away. I, this is a problem and grad school, same thing, you know, imposter syndrome. It is once you have felt it, it's so hard to not like fall back on that, especially I think in moments of transition, right? Like I tell like you were, that was your first quarter. I tell students who are transferring that are had to transfer. I'm like that first semester, that first quarter, it's hard and it's fast and it's, it's new and it's big and it's different. And you feel you may have, like, I had one of my very favorite students ended my class with an A. He is, he's, I love him so much. He is a great student and he transferred to Irvine and he wrote me and he was like, this is, it's so different. The classes are big. The professors, like, I don't even know them. I don't see them. And like, he's telling his professor that he knew well enough to email that, you know, and like that transition period is just so tough. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're, if you know, for your students here that are watching this and you feel like 
you you might see me or you know Aaron walking around campus and saying hi to people and smiling and being happy I still experience moments of that imposter syndrome like it it stays with me and and it's hard to kind of come out of that but that's when looking for that support, looking for that person that that kind of helps you to process what that's about is really important. And, and I've stuck with that a lot. I, you know, I'm I'm not currently in therapy anymore. Um, but I've I've learned to value that opportunity to process things with people. Because for me, that's been the way that I I help myself also get out of that. Like, no, Jessica. You may not be accessing the skills that you need right now, but they're there. They're there. You just, maybe you just need to talk to somebody else about it and be honest. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've opened up to like people here at Miracosta, colleagues, friends, and they're like, oh yeah, I feel that too. And I'm like, it just feels like a weight comes off a little bit because someone else that is right there with you has the same. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. So never be afraid to reach out and let somebody else know how you're doing or you're feeling because more often than not, they will be able to relate or, or, or help find somebody who can also be there to process with you. Because um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Education and, and, and getting an education can be difficult for sure. You know, so what kept you going through that? When you had that <laughs> moment, when you, what was like the, I don't want to say like the next quarter or like what was... You, you can take that wherever you want, but what kept you moving? So I found a community for sure. Um, like I said, UCSD doesn't have a very high number of um, students that identify as that next, but luckily with going through this summer program, I was able to connect really early on with Mecha and Mecha for me was a game changer, like um, becoming and identifying as a student activist Um creating change, like talking with other students who were also just coming into their social justice and political awakening, because that's what it was for me as an undergrad at UCSD. Um, and to this day, I have friends that I made there that we've become family um, through many different ways, right? Like we may not be sisters or brothers, but their kids call me Tia, you know, their kids, um, I'm godmother to some of my friend's kids and we met through here and we identified with each other and with this struggle, right, that we still see for a lot of students of color in a lot of different levels of education, right? Um, that definitely kept me going, finding that community. Um, and <laughs> it was also my mom. <laughs> I think back to those, those first few weeks at UCSD. And I remember one time like calling her crying and the thing, and, and why I remember my mom in this the most is because my dad was really supportive. He was like, okay, cool. You want to go and get your education? Go for it. Do it. Hang in there. I'll support you however I can you have my blessing go. But my mom, my mom stopped talking to me for a week when she found out that I was, that I made the decision to go to UCSD, you know, and even though we went and toured the campus, she still wasn't happy with that decision, right? And so she was pretty upset. But I remember calling her like that first week and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm crying. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I want to come home. And she's like, oh no, 
no, no, no, no, no. She's like, you made your bed, you sleep in it. And she was like, te quedas porque te quedas. And I was like, that means I can't come home. <laughs> like, <laughs> definitively. <laughs> you know, that whole, like, cries in Spanish absolutely yeah. is a real thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she's like, I know it's hard. She's like, and I've never experienced getting an education, she said. But here's the thing, you made this choice and, and now you have to see it through. She's like, and you can do it. She's like, go and talk to people. Even my mom, you know, again, is yeah. in, in her way of understanding how things work. She's like, you can speak English. You can ask for help. So go and ask for help. <laughs> um, and so knowing that that was her way of being like, look, I accept it. You're there. Hang in there. Be strong. Um, get through this and and you'll be okay so there was that support too and eventually like I said that relationship improved and whenever I would go visit from San Diego to LA right like then my parents would come and pick me up and then maybe my dad would come and drop me off by himself and even that was like an incredible level of support you know because like I don't I mean, I don't know how many other students have that, right? Like that their parents can do that for them um, over weekends or like take time off of work and and be able to show their kids support that way. For me, that that was what kept me going to that. And like I said, finding that community of other people who were like-minded, who went through the same experiences as I did, who were also experiencing imposter syndrome. And we talked about it, maybe not in that terminology, right? Because sometimes you don't even know what it is or how, how do I, how to call it or what yeah. identify it. But we knew, we knew what we were all talking about and experiencing. Um, so that kept me going. And even now, like I still call those friends and I'm like, who the heck do they think I am? And they're like, no, calm down. They know who you are. That's you're why great. you're there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you. We just got to take a second to celebrate moms really quick, because I, th- I think that's a core, core reason for me as well, that I kept going, that kept me through any of that stuff, because like, you, I know, it's not exactly what you were talking about, but my kind of belief was like, she did all of that for me, and I'm gonna tell you a second what she did, but like all that for me. I can't not do what I'm doing, you know, like, I can't fail, because she has put so much on the line, you know, like she like took out a, got a credit card for her, just for her, but like, it was so such a small amount of credit line. Like we didn't have much, you know, just enough to pay for grad school applications. Just and like, I remember maxing that out on grad school applications and I applied for like these amount of schools and it was like just what I could afford. And I knew like that's debt. She's, t- that's not getting paid off anytime soon. <laughs> like I knew the reality of that situation. So it's like, you can't, when when you see someone like take that plunge for you, you can't let them down, you know? And I, I so like, it's like showing support and showing that love. And even if it's just in this case, like some people, I look around and I think about like that, that some people can just pay for those grad school applications. No problem. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But like, that was a huge, like that, that might have like messed up her credit even worse. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that, that moment when that parent, just like does a thing for you that you know like I can't that's right I gotta get I gotta get back to where I I gotta get my head right because yeah. I can't doubt myself because she's not doubting me you know she's not she's believing in me <laughs> you know 
like I said, I grew up in LA and my mom didn't drive. My mom didn't drive. She still doesn't drive. She's got three, four chauffeurs now that she can count on, right? Me, my siblings, my dad. <laughs> um, so she doesn't have to learn how to drive. <laughs> and, and she takes public transportation everywhere whenever she doesn't have a ride, right? But I tell her, I'm like, you know, sometimes when we're driving around LA and, and we make a stop somewhere and LA has a huge um, transportation system, right? Buses, um, Metro, all of that. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty nice transportation system that they have there. But still like, you know, who's taking that transportation system? It's not people who are rich. It's not people who have mm-hmm. money or who are just trying to be, you know, very good. yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'll look out my window, right, when I'm driving with her or with just on my own or whatever. And I, I see a little family with like what looks to be a mom and some kids. And I, t- and I tell her sometimes, I'm like, I want to I wanna pull over and say to these kids, you can do it. There's something in the future out here for you. Trust yourself believing yourself you can do it because I was this little kid with my mom on the buses like going to you know groceries going to doctor's appointments going here and there um I'm like and if I can do it you can do it too like I really want to say that to these kids I'm like without being offensive or you know like um assuming things but like like that's how much it's impacted me right to to remember all of that and to not forget where I'm coming from too like that's really also important to me um as well but yeah I'm very fortunate to have my parents still alive and with me um or or together right because I know that that can also be something of a privilege that not a lot of people have or, or or it's not the same for a lot of folks right um and that they've been rocks in a lot of different stages of my life. They've also been the rocks, right? That weigh me down. <laughs> but they've also or been been that. Keep you support. angered. They keep you angered. That's right. Yes, that's the reframe. We'll subtle reframe. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but but yes, I've been very fortunate. And I'll tell you another little funny thing. Like I said, I'm the oldest in my family. And all three, all three of us, me, my sister, and my brother, we're all products of the UC system. Um, my sister has her master's degree as well. I have my master's degree. My brother is currently applying for master's programs too. And it's, I feel like sometimes as the oldest, we do get asked a little bit more often than not, how did you do it? Like, what, how, right? And so I've learned to answer the question. And one time I took, and I think actually it might might not have been me. It might have been my sister who asked my brother, like, how did you do it? Because again, he came into the UC system seven years later. Tuition was going up. Um, classes were impacted. It was hard to get into classes that you needed. And so, of course, that affected your timeline of how long you were going to be there, right? Which again may cost money. Yeah. And he said it was it was so we laughed about it but it was also like oh my god he's like well you know how mom bought the same picture frames for all of our diplomas and I was like yeah but I, and I had never thought about that Aaron like I had never thought about mm-hmm. that because mine was the first one to go up yeah so I didn't have to I was like yeah he's like why well, just didn't want mine to be empty that's right man you know you see it 
she bought it because she knew it was coming. <laughs> and I'm going to say, because I know from my experience, it was a good deal. I'm getting all of them and we're going to, we're going to hang them on the wall. You're going to fill that. that. <laughs> yeah, I yes. love that. Yes. And I was like, wow. Um, him being the youngest and again what the yeah. youngest kids also have some pressure and some expectations to live up to I had never thought of it from his perspective yeah. but when he said that I was like wow that's crazy that's awesome and so yeah. you were that example and your mom was also like in ways that felt like subtle almost like putting it out there you know like yeah. it's gonna happen yeah in Spanish <laughs> expectations in Spanish yeah <laughs> so just for now where we've kind of got like our personal experiences in here let's let's zoom a smidge out and talk about some of the like education like structural stuff or issues with education that may be things that you see as a problem and how how we're educating students in any capacity you want to take that and also stuff maybe you want to you'd want to fix we talk a lot about advocacy and that students have power and that students with their voices can make change. But I don't think that we demonstrate that enough to students. And then when students do try to advocate for themselves and use their voice, we haven't created a system that allows for them to be expressive, um, to and and provide evidence, right? That that backs up what they're saying and what they're feeling. Because I understand that, like from a college and from this this perspective of being on the other side, I know we need to have support, right? It's it's like when you're writing, you don't want to just make a claim; you want to support it, right? But when they do, like we have these barriers of like red tape, bureaucracy, um, the he said, she said, she said, he said, they said, they said, and, and, and like the students get tired of that. And so I sometimes, and, and it's awful because I've experienced it where I've had students come in and say to me, well, I've already done that. I've already talked to that person already. And like, and it got nowhere. And I'm like, okay, well, let me send an email. And all of a sudden the answer changes. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's what they meant. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? I'm like, no, and, and, like, and honestly, I'm a, I'm in, in the Cosmo, right, of Miracles to College, I'm a small person, right? Like, maybe compared to other people, compared to, like, you know, who, who I, what I do, right? Like, I'm this small corner of, of this world, right? I'm like, it shouldn't take somebody who works for the college to do the advocacy for the student that we say mm -hmm. they can do that we say they can use their voice, that we say, talk to us. I'm like, but what was the point in that? I'm like, what was the point in that? Um, they got the run around, they're frustrated. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so I think that there's a disconnect, right? Between talking about students and their power and the power of their voices and them advocating for themselves and what is actually happening when they do that. You know, and I think in the classroom, what, when I see this happen, um, I find even myself, and I think a lot of teachers, unless you are consciously practicing a classroom where you have decentered your power a little bit, um, which is what I, I try to do in my class and, and bring the students involved, involved in the creation of structures and policies and how we're doing things, in, even if you are practicing that, 
when a student calls you out on something, when a student is advocating for themselves, something that we are proud of them for doing, it's hard for your first response to not be that kind of like defensive maneuver, right? And I know a lot of people experience that where we we have a student who is out here asking us for something or or putting putting themselves out there and saying something to us and we don't receive it the way it needs to be received. And I think a lot of times that's on, like you're pointing out, that's on us, that's on faculty, that's on staff, that's on administrators to receive that advocacy in a way that is empowering for the student. Even if you can't completely do exactly everything, you can find something. Like we're talking about um, uh, how to post things on Canvas in my mm -hmm. class. And I mean, literally how to like, how am I going to present assignments to them? Like mm -hmm. time, deadline times, and I'm involving them in all of that. And I'm, I'm, this is a thing I'm openly asking them to contribute to. And even in the moment, I feel myself being like, oh, but I can't do it because of this reason. And I, I have to like, I have to tamp, tamp that. I'll be like, wait, what is really at the core of why I can't do that? Is it because I, is it because that's something I don't want to do? Is it because I'm afraid to do that? And, and if we just shut that student down after inviting the conversation, that, that student's not going to want to come back and talk again. They're not going to want to advocate for themselves anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and it's hard. You're right. Because when I've been in that position of receiving the feedback, yeah, the first instinct <laughs> um, is is to defend myself. Like, yeah. with no wait, but you need to understand me. And I'm like, oh. you need to understand. Yeah, that's that's it. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on, Jessica, hold on. There has to be a way where you can both mm -hmm. understand each other. But it takes time. It takes time to be able practice. to do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. practice to be able to like stop yourself and say, I hear you let's, let's keep talking about it. Let me like explain where I'm coming from with all of this. And then if that at all helps great, but if not, okay, let's, let's just keep this conversation going, but it takes yeah. practice, takes time. I mean, we're human. Like, of course it's like that first response of like, but wait a minute. I also, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. know, I think sometimes we, I, I was in a, one of my first new faculty workshops. We had um, Dana Smith, the great Dana Smith, organized this for us um, with Bruce Hoskins. And Nick Mortaloni came in and talked about um, what when a student is in crisis, right? And this is not necessarily what we're talking about right here, but it, the way he talked about like getting that convert, like changing the space of the conversation almost. Like when a student comes in and they're giving you like full volume, how you respond in that moment can, you can kind of like shake that out a little bit and like, like jar them, but kind of like, okay. And you present calmly. I think about it in a similar capacity when we're talking to students, we have to if I'm up there at the beginning of class trying to sign in and two-factor authentication my way through all these logins and stuff, and students are coming up in there, this is the time when the student felt comfortable to come to the front of the class and talk to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm in a panic mode. Mm -hmm. I need, we have to kind of like tell ourselves like, stop, we can log in in a moment. Talk to, let's bring it, and that better interaction will happen as a result, I think that um, breathing like you just yeah. said yeah and remembering remembering to be able to do that too is is 
it can change everything, that whole experience for sure. But practice. <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple of quick questions here to end. And I want to, I, this is something you've touched on this already. And I love so much of it. What is something you would get a piece of advice you'd give yourself when you were a student starting college or you have any student that you interact with that's starting college? What would you tell them? I think, I mean, I would just be really honest and say it's going to be hard. There will be challenging times. There will be times when, again, you won't understand or won't have the words for it, but it's this imposter syndrome that I think really no one is immune to, right? Um, at least I hope so, because if there is somebody with immunity to that, I want to meet them. <laughs> get that get that genetic sampling like let's get it all in us yeah <laughs> um but this it's it's hard it is but again i found that through mentorship and through finding people that are willing to listen to me and and can lend me a hand or like guide me um it made all the difference for me it made all the difference for me there are there are people in my life still that I met as a student at UCSD who again who started as mentors who are, are who are really just family to me now. Um, they they came to my wedding, they're coming to my baby shower now. And and I credit them and even mentors that were in my in my UCSD days, right? That maybe we don't talk a lot, but we're Facebook friends or whatever. Like I credit them with, with helping me get to where I am today. And like that goes even professionally, sending them my resumes, sending them my cover letters and having them give me feedback on that. Um, and I'm not above that still, like even as this program manager for the writing center, like that's, that's something that's regular in my work, getting feedback from other people. I think it's really hard to do this by yourself um, and it can feel lonely and isolating, but have that, I don't want to say it's courage because it's not always about courage, like have that love for yourself to reach out and tell somebody I'm struggling or I'm having a hard time. Um, because, and I will say that at Miracosta, I've found that we definitely have a really strong network of support, um, especially for our students, especially for our students. And that's yeah. something that I'm really proud of, of us as a college, mm -hmm. um, and being a part of that network, um, because there is a lot of connectivity right? Um, we talk to each other, we, we, we tell each other about our, our services. And so even if I've never been, for example, to, um, to Devin's office, I know he runs care. And I know that if I send somebody to Devin, Devin is going to take care of that student, yeah. right? But I won't know that you need that support, that you need that guidance, unless you tell me, unless you, you reach out to me. And even though this might be the first time that your students are seeing me here, my door is always open to students. Like that's one thing that I, I really value also in working with this college, right? Like having that open door policy um, 
and a lot of people also having that same policy where students can just kind of walk in and say like, I'm going through this. I need this. And and we and we all react. We all are like, okay, okay, let's let's what do we do? Who do we yeah, yeah. you know? And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I know it can be hard. I know it can be hard for a lot of different reasons, right? Like again, I identify as the oldest in my family. And so as the oldest in the family, you need to just know what to do. You you can't be the one asking for help. You just need to know how to do it. But that's that's something that's that I've worked through, right, enough to just say that reaching out and asking for help is probably going to be one of the best things that you can do for yourself, um, especially when, when you find yourself in difficult situations. Um, for sure, me, I know my team at the Writing Center is always there to support students, um, and it doesn't always necessarily have to be writing. You know, I, I know that, like you said, talking through some things and even in talking through that, that process can sort of help um, to also say like, hey, it sounds like you might want to visit this person. Would yeah. you like us to walk over there together? Does that sound like an, an okay idea to you? Um, so definitely reaching out, letting somebody know when you're not doing so well, you're not feeling so well. Cause that's going to make all the difference. Find, find your people, reach out. I love that. I think so much of what I, I, there's an alignment with a lot of what you've talked about today, I think is really important that the advocacy and encouraging advocacy and then reaching out as students. But I think from, if I look at it from like the institution side, well, that's something we've got to continue to encourage and continue to make sure our students feel like give opportunities for that community building, give opportunities for them to reach out. And I, I, our care team does an amazing job of doing that. But even just like now that many of us are kind of coming back to campus or even in, in our asynchronous spaces, how are we creating those opportunities for students to find those people? Mm -hmm. um, because that, that is something that can really make life better when you have someone, just someone to text about like, hey, I don't know what to do about this thing. Can you help me real yep. quick? You know, that that can change everything for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I want to hear from your heart here. This is the, my, my you know, I'm all about that love. I can't stop. Yes. <laughs> what do you love about what you do? <sighs> that one's hard. <laughs> <laughs> just because there's so many things to talk about but to be very honest with you um and and I've thought about this too like where I want my career to go to and what I want to do next and I really enjoy creating and developing programs for students to feel supported but the reason I love it is because it gives me an opportunity to still connect to students um, I'm not so far removed from them that I can't talk to them, that I can't say hi to them, that I can't, you know, identify some of the regulars that are coming to the writing center, learn their name, say, like, hey, how are you doing? How was that class? Or how did that paper go? Or how did this go? Like, I love being able to talk to students. Um, I don't envy you all that you have to grade them no, <laughs> or <a> evaluate <laughs> them. <laughs> 
Um, cause I get, I get to have this opportunity to connect to them without necessarily having that pressure that you all have as faculty, right. Or like even some administrators who have to make some difficult choices for students, yeah. right. Um, I get to be really a support system for students and especially for those people. I love it when the students get to know my name too. Hey, Jessica, how are you? You know, or they recognize me just walking around campus and I can say hi. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful feelings that I, I, I don't think, I could recreate in in other positions as well, right? Um, so even before when I was with SI, my connection to students was with the leaders that I would train and that I would hire and mentor through the program. And that was great. Um, but now being in the writing center and having an opportunity to touch base with just all kinds of students, with anybody who walks in um, and sometimes sitting at the front desk being that welcome person, it's it's one of the best things that um, I experience at working with the yeah. college every day. And, and I love that. Um, learning people's names, having them learn mine, talking to them, asking them how their day went. Like it's, I don't, I don't know what can be better. Yeah. <laughs> from you're, my, get, you're getting me yeah. a little bit misty over here, Jessica, because <laughs> I'm thinking about some of my, if you've ever been that student who's had to walk into that, that big open library space, I'm thinking about where the old writing center was, the big open library space. You're like, I don't know where I'm going. What do I do? And they see you there. Like, you know, or I'm thinking about my first, one of my first days here, it was early first semester. I was having a, um, I recognize now I, I was having a pretty rough time with my mental health at the end of my first semester here. My dad was going through some health stuff and he ended up, it, it was cancer. It was not great. Mm -hmm. And I had to go take this like travel form to go to Encore oh. in May. Uh -huh. which is this big conference and it was canceled because it was the pandemic year. So it all, it all, it didn't happen, but I had to take this paper and there, the paper looked like it was some sort of like alien language that I had never, I didn't know what to do. I was, I filled it out as best I could. And I had, I was just kind of walking through the, the offices, like, where do I go? And the person I ended up having to take it to was JD Banks. Have you met JD? Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. And I'm going to shout out JD really quick, only because without she did something that I have tried to model ever since and I was a professor on a full-time tenure track professor my one of my first semesters I handed in this paper and I came in kind of like oh I came in like the student that's panicking right and I was like oh oh and I like I I wasn't quite that bad but you know what I mean and I handed oh, the yeah, paper that's I was how like, was gnarly oh, I'm looking for this person <laughs> and she she took the form and she was like just stuck her hand out hi I'm JD what's your name and just nice, nice to meet you. And just a, I walked away being like, man, I need to, I needed to calm down. Like not, she didn't like in a good way. Like she yeah. kind of made me be like, it's okay. So now when I see students like doing anything on campus or transitioning between classes, they're like setting up desks. And for the the other professor that's leaving, I just, just introduce yourself, say hi, shake, shake hand if that's appropriate for you. Or just you jump in first, say, hi, it's great to meet you. My name's Aaron. What's your name? And it just, it changes the feeling. And that student usually will take a moment and kind of like, it's like they weren't expecting that, you know? Yes. So I, I love that you you highlighted that, that, that you love doing that because I think that that is what makes it special to go to a place like this because you get those relationships and that's how you feel supported. I love that.
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like I'll sit outside for my lunch break, right? And I'll go to a cafeteria and I'll sit in one of the lounges or whatever. And I'll notice people and you can tell sometimes when it's somebody's first time on the campus or they're here and this is not normally where they're at. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. The, the look in the eyes, the papers. And I might have like a full mouth, right? But I'm like, hi, do you need help finding something? <laughs> um, and again, you know, and, and then sometimes I'll do the hi, hola, just to make sure that somebody knows like, oh, this yeah. person's bilingual, you know, and that mm-hmm. also makes a difference or that can also be what helps that person reach out to you or not reach out to you too, right? Um, so yeah, there's, it's, it's very special. It's really great. Um, I'm so happy that I'm working in the writing center right now and that I can, I can do that. You know, I have those opportunities to sit at our front desk and, and welcome people. And, um, and hopefully that it makes a difference for them too. You know, um, we don't always get to hear right from students like, oh, that made a difference for me, but I'm hoping that it does, yeah, you know, and, does. and, 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 and it's okay that I never get to hear it. I'm just kind of trusting and putting it out there in the world that that it's it's going to yeah. be a positive um, experience for somebody. Yeah. Well, Jessica, I want to thank you so much for being here and just say you are Mira Costa. I mean, <laughs> thank you for for sharing with us, sharing your story, and telling us what you love, talking about your passions and your journey. Um, it's enlightening for me to hear, to learn about you, but also just, I I think it's going to make us better friends and our relationship. And I hope that everyone out there listening, hears something that they can take away from this today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We look forward to seeing you and your students in the writing center too. Yeah. Feel free. All right, friends. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please check back in. We'll have more episodes coming soon. We have Jabi Prescott. We have Zulema Diaz. We have a who's who, a veritable who's who of Miracostans coming. Plus, lots of other cool stuff on the horizon. We're just getting started and we're just learning. Um, so thank you once again for listening and please chat with me. I want to hear your thoughts. Share some info, share some ideas, uh, share some experiences. What, what connected with you in this episode?